Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Body I.O. Uh, with your host, Kiefer. Oh, one of these days I'll start numbering these. Uh, I, I feel like so much is in flux. Like, who knows? And speaking of things in flux, you know, I know the world is headed towards another shutdown over COVID-19. And I don't want to spend too much time on it, obviously... This is an unbelievable snafu in the breakdown of the world trying to address uh, a, a major international pandemic. And there's no, I, I'll be honest, the, a lot of the measures that they're taking are not going to help. They're only going to, once again, move the hump down the road and you know we're not even in a second wave or a third wave as i've seen a lot of media outlets call this we're we're just in a third surge of the first wave uh so you know this is shockingly bad and i know originally when we when i discussed masks i was looking at the point of view of people protecting themselves and since then, even though it's really hard to pin down the statistics on how much they stop the actual spread of the virus, uh, there are a couple things to note. We do, they did some amazing high speed photography of, you know, looking at the fluid dynamics of when you breathe out of, out of a mask. And, you know, the paper mask, a good paper mask, it really. Not only did it stop the particle, the particulates that you exhale, but just the amount of flow that it stopped, even if something does escape, it's not going very far. I mean, I, I thought those those studies and the video that they produced were actually quite stunning. And so I, I did change my position. I think it, it's well worth wearing a mask to help protect others. But for those who, for some reason or another, cannot find their altruistic selves, um, which, you know, I'm not judging anybody here. I'm not here to do that. For those who can't, if you live in a cold area, there's actually another really good reason to wear the masks, even outside. And that's because... Before all this happened, actually, they were there were studies done on why is it that we have cold and flu season? You know, why is it that it always occurs in the coldest part of the year? And nobody had had a good answer for that. But now they know that the cold air, as the air comes in, it's actually condensed because it's cold. And that overt oversaturation of the lungs with oxygen actually opens up the channels for viruses to have a higher chance of embedding themselves. So that's why cold weather makes us more susceptible to these things. And once we're more susceptible, it's much, much easier to spread them uh, because then our neighbors are more susceptible as well. And that would change the R value of the flu in the cold, specifically in the winter, because it has a higher reproduction rate. And that's exactly what we're seeing right now with the explosions in COVID. They coincided with the cold weather. 
uh, people's lungs became more susceptible to the invasion of the virus. And so we're seeing another wave because of that. You know, one good thing is death rates have not skyrocketed like they initially did. So, you know, it's probably younger, healthier people who are being infected. So that's a good thing. But wearing the mask in cold weather has a huge advantage and it doesn't matter if it's the flu, the cold, anything else. When you're outside, if you're wearing a mask, then you're actually keeping the air that you breathe significantly warmer. You're reducing your chances of catching anything and everything. Now, you might still catch something, but you're severely decreasing the possibility. Now, of course, if you have a tendency to pick your nose, you're still highly susceptible to getting the cold virus. But as I sniffle on here, uh, so, you know, you might want to also avoid picking your nose, which amazingly enough, wearing a mask helps with because you can't pick your nose through a mask. So there's tons and tons of utilitarian reasons to wear a mask when it's cold out, regardless of the situation we're in. So if you haven't found a reason to trust that it stops the spread of the coronavirus, well, it can have profound effects for you and keeping you healthy. And that would be through every cold and flu season. Uh, It doesn't just have to be this year. And I'm not sure how many people would be comfortable wearing those, you know, in years where it's not a pandemic which is funny that I can even say that, you know, looking forward to a year without a pandemic. Uh, But it's just something I thought I should bring up because I know some people even here in Serbia where they're having uh, an explosion again, they're having a massive third wave or third surge of the first wave. And uh, some people are still reluctant to wear masks. Now, granted, when I'm outside by myself and I'm not in crowds, I don't wear a mask. But if I am in congested areas or I go inside, I do wear the mask. And, you know, honestly, it's gotten really cold a couple times. I've left my mask on when I left the store because, I mean, it just actually feels great. The air I'm breathing is warm. It keeps my entire body warmer. So when it's gotten really cold, I I have left it on when I've been walking around the streets. Uh, So I just wanted to put that out there. I'm not trying to tell anybody what to do what i'm trying to do is give you a reason to perform an act that can help everybody it can help you and it can help others and i i think it's well worth doing and again i don't want to spend a lot of time on the covid thing because this podcast is actually another uh the rest of it's a consultation call with heinrich he had a lot of great questions and even though he's male, a lot of his questions, especially towards the end when I wasn't really helping him anymore, he was asking general questions. There was information there that men, women, everybody can benefit from listening to. So this, the first half today that I'm releasing is, is mostly the one-on-one consultation. And there, again, there's a lot of general information. And then the second half that will release soon has some more general information just educational material almost uh, he asked some really probing questions that i that i thought were excellent and i answered them as best i could in the time allotted so 
here we are. Uh, hopefully you can be comfortable wearing a mask, especially if you're in a cold, cold air region. You know, if you're living in North Africa or, you know, the bottom of, you know, I think it's Brownville down in Texas, or you're down in the Florida Keys or maybe San Diego, uh, well, or Phoenix, Arizona, I, you know, I understand if you're not going to wear a mask outside, it, it's probably not going to make a, a big difference if you're out and about and you're not in a crowd, but it's, you know, it's not going to prevent you from getting anything and it's unlikely to help others too terribly much either. But if you're in a cold region, like you've got double the reason to wear a mask outside and you've got the perfect excuse because, you know, everybody's doing it. So you're not going to look weird being the only person who does it. Uh, so, yeah, something to think about, and uh, hopefully these vaccines pan out. Again, they're still actually not much farther than they were with the failed vaccines for SARS and MERS, but, you know, my fingers are still crossed that they they will have some success when they, when it's released into a larger population for testing, and that it does not act as the previous coronavirus vaccines that actually increased the number of deaths. Um, you know, I'm hoping that them speeding up the approval process does not lead to that kind of sloppiness. Um, historically, we know that's a big danger, so I hope they take it seriously. And well, that's it. I'll I'll get to the podcast now. I hope everybody enjoys. This is Heinrich. Uh, you know, he's lived in multiple places. He's currently in Switzerland, and I will let it go from there. All right. Hope everybody enjoys. Why don't you go ahead and give a little bit of your background, if you don't mind? Uh, I won't. I won't include it in your your hour time, but just so everybody has kind of a baseline of where you are. Yep. Okay. So I'm 30. I weigh around 80 to 85, depending on 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 month or week and i'm 183 centimeters tall um i don't really know my body fat uh, since i never got it measured i would say you saw my picture or video maybe um mm -hmm. yeah 15 maybe i would say I, I don't really know um or what would be your guess yeah well i was going back to look at your video again uh so go ahead. I'll look at yeah. the video while you continue yeah. to talk. Um, so I've been fairly active my whole life. I did like a lot of different sports as a kid, but with 15 or maybe towards 18, I transitioned more into just lifting weights and been more or less active with that throughout the years. Um, and I've never had, I'm not like huge or anything, um, don't have extraordinary results, but uh, I, I feel more or less... Um, Kind of content with where i am i don't want to get like a mass monster or anything like that but just want to keep going with what i'm doing but maybe in a more consistent manner um current training five days a week sometimes twice a week when i get time walk a lot as well you mean and twice done... a day when you have time yeah exactly twice a day when i have time exactly and so I usually do then a double split, maybe, uh, yeah, we can come to training later when we go through that. Um, and I've done car back loading since five years, six years, I think. Um, before that, I did a year of um, 
Corbnite, and before that, I've basically done anything under the sun or everything, <laughs> basically everything. Um, but right. now I've found something that I'm happy with and I've done for like consistently for a long, long period of time. Um, yeah. And that right. was basically well, the, the, the short version. So at least from the video this summer, you were, I mean, you're, you, in that video, you're somewhere between 11 and 9. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I can't say for sure. I would, I would put you closer to the low end of that, like 10 or below. Okay. Uh, In that video, like, I don't know what you look like today. Who knows? Maybe you had too many of your binging sessions that you talked about in your questions. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. No, so, so I would say, I think I'm maybe a couple of kilos heavier now. Um, maybe one or two so not far away from that okay. very far away from from the picture i sent you which was like five years ago before carb night yeah the befores are uh, kind of impre- sad <laughs> well i mean it's an impressive transformation they're, they're not sad because they're not the current pictures yeah that's true that's true and i think i have as i said i've done carb night and carb backloading since that's basically the difference between those the pictures and the video so I'm have you to thank for you for, for that. Well, I'm which is cool. Yeah, I'm glad I'm partly responsible for the massive change. I mean, all the hard work was yours, so. Yeah, but you for sure made it easier. <laughs> um, uh, so you sent me be- beforehand, which is great. I really appreciate you sent me a ton of questions. Yes, and a ton of info. So I. <laughs> Yeah, I will, I'll just let you go through those in whatever order you want or whatever is most important for you. Because, I mean, interestingly, you started off with more uh, mental slash mindfulness yep. questions. Exactly. Uh, so I, I think we can. Oh, sorry. Oh, go ahead. I'm done. No, so so I, I think because most of your material is kind of uh, yep science wise on on I mean exactly how does the body work what should we do and so on and I feel most of the people that has have been on your podcast so far are like machines to me they're like okay I do exactly what you tell me and I'm like yeah I wish I could do that but I can't. <laughs> Um, so therefore, I kind of on the top of, of my list of questions would be kind of ad- adherence to diet because that has been my main problem. Now, obviously, with carb backloading, with carbonite, I get a kind of a, I think, more of a leeway on what you can do and what you get away with. Mm-hmm. Um, but my main problem is kind of diet adherence, like throughout the low carbs periods of the day or when I have low carb days it's fine but when I kind of know I have a backload or a carb night then it's very easy for me to just okay now it's binging time I can eat whatever um, which I I mean I can down 10k of calories easily without kind of blinking (laughs) Um, yeah it's not good or healthy in any way no it's well, I, I mean, you, you'd probably be surprised. Your brain chemistry, from what I can get of your background and the changes you've made, and it seems like 
you're good at staying with a consistent schedule for training and those kind of things like you can set that up for yourself yep and and stick to it you're probably a lot like the individuals who say well whatever you say i'll do it exactly um the the difference being at some point and there's no way i can conjecture when or how it happened at some point you introduced addictive substances and i i'm i don't mean like really serious stuff but like caffeine and nicotine and uh maybe your days at some point in the past became more fluid to where you were whatever you wanted to do when you wanted to do it you did it you didn't have as much of a schedule and things like that my guess is you had a period of life of period like that in life uh where you were a little freer and you needed less self-control and you utilized that and i could be totally off base but that's my guess is that at all fair yeah i i would say i mean that it's the same i guess with work it's not only diet wise or substance wise it's actually the same with everything i do and obviously, both when it comes to food and with, with, with work and with these substances, uh, as you said, sometimes it's kind of, I don't really have to care. And sometimes I really do, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, it does. And, and what I was saying is like, I just assume it's at some point in your past, you said you were always active and an athlete. Oh, okay. I, yeah, I just assume at some point in your past, there was a longer period than normal where like schedule and those things didn't matter. Did did that ever happen? That's a good question. I think up until I started with with carbonite, I didn't really then I had like like the typical JoJo thingy um where in between where I dieted that I didn't really care at all. Mhm. Yeah. Yeah, because so what can easily happen is uh, so this goes back to, you know, Dr. Walsh and a lot of his work with methylation and things like that. So people who are heavily under methylated, yeah. they're big time achievers, like they're always achieving above and beyond uh, what they need to. They can be incredibly goal focused and sometimes that jumps around somewhat. Um, and they have and the one thing that goes with that is they have pretty consistently low serotonin levels. And as long as their life is structured where they're constantly tied to some goal and they don't have the opportunity to indulge in being able to do what they want when they want then that brain pattern pretty much continues just forever, you know, and usually it falls apart because people start families and things get chaotic and all this stuff happens. And it usually falls apart for those individuals and they become less driven and less overachievers later in life. Um, And what happens is there's just some opportunity for you to change your days just enough for long enough that you start tapping into your serotonin network 
in a way that starts to rewire your brain a little bit and it makes it much much harder to control urges whether they're around nicotine or whether they're around caffeine like usually they'll pick up something like that and from everything i'm looking at here that's that's kind of what i'm seeing the way you're describing how you use food um all that all that kind of stuff um and, and yet coupled with the fact that clearly you know you you do overachieve is my guess when you work I, like i see that from your physique from the things you've mentioned in in your questionnaire so that that's my guess there i mean that pretty much i mean i went into so much detail because that pretty much explains like everything you're asking in your your mental it's kind of scary now i'm sorry interrupting you again but i'm kind of now i understand the question you asked me much better and usually what has happened now when i think about it which i didn't understand before is exactly why i say like usually i've been traveling a lot in my life and i've been moving living in a lot of different countries and usually what i do is i go into a new country or a new work or a new study post before i do it really hard for the first half year and then everything is fine and then i have done basically everything and can kind of ride on that wave for a year or two or mm-hmm. And that is usually when the problems start to rise, like with nicotine or food or whatever. And it's basically the same now. Um, now I'm currently living in Zurich and been here in two, two, for two years. The first year I've been like super focused on work and everything was fine. And then came Corona and everything kind of slowed down. Mm-hmm. And then I had a lot of free time, as you said, like all the time in the world and kind of the first two months of those I used to kind of, okay, now I'll go heavy on the gym. I bought myself a home gym and everything was fine. And then I reached my kind of physique goal and then everything just crashed. <laughs> after yeah. That. yeah. It's, it's not atypical. Uh, that's, you know, that, that's just what I was got from your information and, you know coming so right now you're in a place where you're managing it it sounds like you're managing it pretty well you know yeah so you said you you binge some and then that binging probably makes you aesthetically not look like you want and then that gives you a small term goal to you know focus a little more and then you go back is that the cycle yep exactly yeah so kind of the mental training that needs to go with that to help to so the the serotonin problem is i don't know you can think of it as as kind of like a base level problem and giving into whims then starts to also rewire circuitry a little bit so you've you've taken this baseline problem and then you've created a cerebral environment where it has more powerful effects um and and, and you can rewire it again you can turn that off but you essentially what you have to start doing you either need another goal like super hyper focused goal like you used to have or you need to practice mindfulness which not not weird guru-y spiritual stuff but like the mindfulness of i'm having a craving and today i'm gonna set the limit of 30 minutes before I satisfy any craving 
And at the end of the 30 minutes, like, it's fine. If you want to, if you want nicotine gum, you know, you're like today you said it. Okay. This is Wednesday, 30 minutes before I satisfy any craving. So you're having the craving, you wait 30 minutes and you keep extending that period of time. And in doing that, you are starting to now rewire your brain to not be as so affected by your serotonin surges that you're getting every time you're eating carbs. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it's, it's just something you have to practice. It, it's literally exercising restraint. I mean, it's, it's just like muscles. If you're not using it, it, it falls into disuse and then you become susceptible to side effects that you don't want. So it's just something you have to train. And when you're in these periods, you need to train it consistently. And, you know, there's a dozen ways you could think of just any type of impulse control, even, you know, even if they're not strong impulses, it's still a whim and you're potentially acting on a whim. And then that just reinforces the negative effects that serotonin can have every time you're eating the carbs. Okay, so that's basically what 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 my brain wants is that serotonin response. Yeah, and it's because you're, you know, if assuming I'm correct and you're undermethylated, then you have a low level of serotonin. So when you get high levels of it, you have strong responses. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, and so. When you don't have goals, when you're not actively controlling your your willpower, whatever you want to call it, when you're not actively controlling that with work and those other things, then you lose control of it with the carbs. Yeah. Yeah, so you're in that scenario now. I mean, it's obviously it can feel huge. Um, but it's something you can completely reverse, you know, just if you can develop the habits to start to resist. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. So now it's a bit off topic, but still on the same topic, um, kind of when you want to procrastinate something, that, that, does that have anything to do with these kind of the same brain patterns uh um no well yes and no (laughs) okay it's well because there's there's people who are highly over methylated and then they have higher than normal serotonin levels and they tend to be underachievers they just they their natural default state is procrastination yeah okay Okay, so in those individuals, it's a completely different process. Yeah. But somebody who's undermethylated, who, say, gets used to checking email or watching TV shows at a certain time or social media or those things, that can cause serious procrastination. It's like, well, I just want to finish this show. But when the show's over, they're, like, they're, they're more apt to watch another show than to do whatever it is they needed to do. And that's that would be somebody, 
in your situation, that's what you would suffer from. If you suffered from procrastination, it would be more likely to be that. Yeah. And do you have any quick remedy to that? <laughs> uh, so for no. me, that's also um, kind of just to give you the background, very periodic, because you say I tend to overachieve most of the time, but then I fall into these traps sometimes where I would just say, ah, I'll do it some sometime. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's all bound up together. Yeah. It's it's all. Yeah, it's all for you. It's actually one construct that you have to work against. And the easiest way to, so I'm like you, I'm highly undermethylated. Um, you know, everything about me screams it, and I can get set into those distractive modes too if I'm not careful. Yeah. So f- for me, if I find that I'm in one, which happened when I tore my quad, I mean, th- that really changed. I mean, it didn't just change me physically, it changed my brain because of how I was limited and what I could do uh, while I was stuck in bed for months. Uh, So, and to this, and still, I mean, this is over a year later, I'm still kind of suffering from that rewiring. Uh, And so I'll find that sometimes where I accidentally did something in the morning that I shouldn't have done. Like I wanted to see a TV show and for you know my mind is like well it's only 20 minutes i can watch it real fast and then start work and then as soon as it's over it's like oh you know i could (laughs) yep yeah so so what you have to develop there is essentially your i call it introspective intelligence you just kind of have to be aware of what your mind is doing and so i I don't want to do it. I don't want to work. I want to go ahead and watch a show. And all of a sudden, I become acutely aware of what I'm doing with an internal dialogue. And so I'll just force myself to sit down with whatever it is I needed to do. And within five minutes, I'm into the work. Yeah. Um, But I do have to go, you know, even... Like I said, it's it's like a year or two later, and I'm still can get stuck in those mental trappings. And obviously, the goal is to have that introspection before you even watch. You know, I should have the mental faculties be like, oh, I'm just gonna watch this 20 minutes. It's not a big. I at that point, I should be able to stop. But sometimes I don't. Okay, now it makes sense. Um kind of sounds like something similar to to what we discussed before with the binges yeah it's I it's mean, all related yeah yeah it's all it's all related okay and, i'm happy and, to hear. and with your binges one way to help control that is obviously the slower the carbohydrates get into your system the slower that serotonin response so you'll get the biggest response in the evening and by the time it's built up the next morning your it, it's your because it built up and what it was looking for was more carbohydrates to create another hit of serotonin or to sustain that serotonin well yeah. you slept past it so you will wake up almost you've broken the period where you would have been most likely 
to binge. So that's something you could try. I, you know, I got the impression that you enjoy your desserts. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I like, I get it, but you know, those are the things you have to be cognizant of. And like I said, you, you've developed some behavioral strategies for it, which is good. Um, but, but you did bring up some good points about potentially when does this start to tip over into no longer driving health, but potentially freezing health or even possibly doing damage in some way. Yeah. So every once in a while, not a big deal. Um, you know, regular occurrence where you can't get that under control. Uh, yeah. You know, That's it starts to become a big deal. Bad. Yeah. Yeah. But okay. Um, and for me, I mean, it's always, I, I like dur- during the day, it's totally fine. It's like, usually it's either, um, kind of after I've, I've eaten and then maybe I've eaten a small dessert, either it's by that time or it's even kind of before when I'm grocery shopping for the evening and I'm like, then I could be in a trance like for 10 minutes. I don't know, basically don't even know what I'm doing. And then I'm like kind of 20 minutes later, I'm like, Oh, okay. Now I have two bags of candy or whatever it is. Yeah. Usually ice cream. Um, and then I'm like, okay, now it's too late. Now I have to eat it because I bought it. Yeah. And, and will willpower is a lot like, your muscles like it gets exhausted through the day yeah um so you are just going you know the more you more you train it the more in uh, essentially endurance it'll have and the better but you will always be most susceptible in the evening okay okay but i i like tips i, I got them so far kind of to wait the the 30 minutes or whatever it is to kind of, okay, do I still want something? Then do it. Yeah. But yeah, really to, to be mindful of, of what I'm doing, because usually I'm, I'm not even aware to be honest. Yeah. And you know, there's all kinds of little things you can do. Like you can put notes on your cabinets to just remind <laughs> yourself. I mean, there's just tons of stuff you can do, uh, yeah. but I'll let you decide what, what that is for yourself. Yeah. But I like that that waiting thingy. Um, but okay. Um, any last comments on on that um, mental kind of portion of, of of everything? No, I mean I feel. I, I mean, do you? I feel like I covered it pretty in depth, but maybe I yep. didn't. No, okay. you did. Um, I'm more than happy. I'm happy that you had a kind of scientific. Uh, tweak to it with the serotonin and other under methylation so i will read up on that uh, as well afterwards uh, yeah i'm always happy when it can be explained somehow and not just okay yeah that's kind of it's a habit but okay why well, <laughs> well yeah that's the thing if you if you have no mechanistic explanation then you could miss a ton of stuff or miss the connections because there's a lot of things connected all to that one process yeah. Um, so, you know, it's a lot easier to understand, oh, okay, this is bleeding over into all these other things. And uh, I mean, let's just be honest. I, I mean, this might sound like hubris, but right now I don't know anybody else in the field 
that even cares about the mechanistic underpinnings of everything. Um, so they're so they're not going to go look for them. No, and I, I think that's true as well. And I think that's why your audience is kind of so hardcore into you and kind of <laughs> is growing as well. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, well, I think it's very appreciated. I have hope for the future. <laughs> so do I. <laughs> uh, okay, then we move on. <laughs> okay. So now um, I kind of uh, sent you um, kind of my my meal schedule. So and training schedule um, to, mm-hmm. to go with that. So basically, um, I train five days a week, as I said, usually, um, or when I can, twice a day. But that also means that I, I mean, I can consume a lot of carbohydrates. I mean, five, because I always backload on, on the days I train. Mm-hmm. And also, if I, I train in the morning, I usually have like a small, maybe just 10, 20 grams of carbs after that. And then also in the evening after the training, but that means maybe 200 to 300 grams of carbs five days a week, which for me, I mean, um, again, looking at the results, it seems to be working, but it just feels like, okay, I'm not on a low carb diet. My body's not tuned to be low carb. And then as you, as you already mentioned, I mean, you have all these magical health benefits of being low carb or being low carb adapt, adaptive or adapted or whatever you want to call it. Um, not flipping that kind of energy flux switch all the time, um, not having that electron leakage when kind of the carbs spill over instead of glycogen, glycogen you actually burn it and so on. Um, in the evening when you sleep, you say, okay, on your, if you're on a carb-based diet, you actually well have to um, replenish the glycogen stores in the brain and so on and so forth so i'm just wondering how do you actually know um because i've never been good at feeling my body i just have to be told but i can't really feel it oh Um, well i can i can tell you so you know we're of course there's that metabolic flexibility and Well, I mean, I hate that term because the default state of mitochondria should be metabolically flexible. (laughs) And and even though you don't feel like you're low carb, like you don't need to be. That's the thing. Like being low carb is a piece of the program that's tuned for specific goals. Yeah. So on carb night, it's important. Um, because those goals are usually heavily associated with repairing a lot of metabolic damage and losing body fat. Like, yeah. so you have to have those extreme low carb periods, but in your situation, you're still pretty young. Uh, even though you, you probably have a decent amount of damage. I mean, just, you know, everybody probably, does, yeah. but you're using the carbohydrates effectively and you're having long periods without them. Like you're, even though you don't feel low carb and technically in a sense, you're not because you can't ever be low carb if you have your glycogen stores full. And and that's, that's totally fine because your 
matching your diet as you should to your activity. And the only problems I see are, you know, your, your binges. When you said you could easily eat 10,000 calories, you know, those are, I mean, you've got such a large amount of carbohydrate flushing into your system that's causing damage. Yeah. I mean, there's just, there's just no way around it. Um, other than those periods, though, you've got this structured really well. Um, your concerns over you have the carbs immediately after your workout. Um, so you had a question there about, well, should you worry about carbs later in the day or what should you do? Like, that's totally fine. It's a small amount. It's going to go mostly towards replenishing your glycogen stores. And, I mean, actually, so, A, what's quark? Yeah, I have to remind me. Because I've seen, somebody else has mentioned quark ah. before, and I know it's some some item, but I'm not familiar with it. <laughs> it's like cottage cheese, but without the pieces. Ah, okay. It's like okay. smooth cottage cheese. Got it. Um, Yeah, that's fine. One of these... I swear I remember seeing coconut oil or something like that in a yep. post-workout shake. Um, so that was a question I had. Um, so I don't do it now um, mm -hmm. in, in the post-out shakes. Uh, but the question was basically since we all anyway see the carbs going directly into the muscles within 30 minutes of training – um, they are not burned within the mitochondria. And then I, I just assume that maybe it would make sense to, to add some coconut oil to just keep it kind of keep it going. Um, but well, I don't do um, so, so let me correct a misconception. So those carbs you eat, they do go directly into the muscle and they recompensate glycogen, but they are being burned in okay. that process. So okay. they're not all just magically going into glycogen. That would be great. But that 30-minute window is when you can replenish glycogen levels the fastest. That doesn't mean that's where they're all going. Okay, okay. So, so those are still – yeah, those are still being burned off. But you are bringing up a good point. Those carbs are going into the muscle, which can leave other tissues vulnerable to – you know, potential rebound hypoglycemia. Yeah. So in that instance, adding some coconut oil could be warranted, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't add any other type of oil or fat. I would make sure it was coconut oil. And I would actually probably use MCT for yeah. because, just because you're, you're two time a day training and then your scheduling with meals is kind of tight. Uh, any other type of oil and potentially coconut oil is going to slow down that carb, um, the carb flux into your system to get into the muscles. Uh, the one that will do it least is like the pure MCT oil. It's like C8 and C10. It's always liquid. Uh, so if you're feeling a rebound hypoglycemia, then you might want to do that. If you're not, then don't. Okay, then don't. I don't feel anything. It was just a question on if it would make sense or not. But I, I usually don't feel anything. Um, um, I've had like hypoglycemia, glycemia once. It was when I did something with uh, what was what was it called? Carb shock. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, I, I think, and I, I had like no, my, no ten grams of carbs, and then like no idea, thirty 
40 grams of, of isolate with the carb shock. And then I was like, okay, something is happening. I do not feel good, but that was yeah. once. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, I, w- I wouldn't worry about it. Uh, okay. So then great. Um, but okay, um, so the, the reason I got worried about this being low carb or no, not low carb, I mean, is because you said you don't really burn that much much carbohydrates during training, and I still again consume massive amounts, even when I'm not pinching, as I said, like two three hundred grams a, a day, five days a week. It's it's pretty much. Wait, when when did I say you don't burn that much carbohydrate when you're training? I think it's it, it was the last um, kind of podcast you had. Um, you said, okay, you can burn, depending on how you train, but kind of with normal weight training, you don't burn that much. Yeah, I, I mean, from the looks of your training and stuff like that, like you're, you're, you're using your glycogen. Okay, good. I mean, you're going to almost it. failure on every set, right? And you're doing five sets per exercise, it looks like. So that that was the um, the question I will ask when we got to training. So I do not go to failure um, each set, but only kind of the last set of each exercise. But that also right, means- you're you're going within one of failure. If I read yeah. that correctly, right? Yeah, Basically, you're yeah. you're using your carbs. Don't worry. Okay, then then I'm happy. Yeah, it's it's really so in the podcast where you heard that it was a consultation call i'm sure yep yep it was with with a male correct yep so they had some blood issues that would have prevented them from fully utilizing carbohydrates like they should okay so and i i now that i'm thinking about it i'm absolutely sure i did not make that clear on the podcast no yeah so that's that's where that confusion came from uh i mean guys in in general their muscles like to use carbs um, but there, okay. yeah, there are scenar- scenarios where that can be inhibited. And then with your training, you are using your carbs. Like there's no doubt about it. A female using your training would be using her carbs. Okay. I mean, it, and that says a lot, like women have to work really at that high end level before they'll start accessing their glycogen stores. So I mean you're you're in good shape there. Don't worry about not burning your your carbs. Okay, then then I'm happy. Because um, usually I do feel, to be honest, after binges or when I just in general consume a bit too much, I usually feel it. And on the day after, kind of okay, now I feel I overdid it. Yeah. Then yeah, I really I mean- like acutely feel it, but it was just a general feeling that okay, I'm not on a low carb diet what I should be. <laughs> yeah, no, you're, you've got it balanced out pretty well, uh, for what, and I realize COVID just screwed stuff up, but for an overall balance of your physique, gym performance and mental performance, you know, yeah. and making sure that you're getting healthy or at least arresting any, any advance into the disease state. You, you've actually got it dialed in pretty well. Okay. So any kind of general comments on what I could change or what you would change if you were in my shoes when it comes to the kind of setup of the diet? I mean, honestly, no. I The only thing I would be concerned with 
is the binging. Yeah. I mean, okay. I would be trying to work around that and maybe your protein content is a little low, but that's also a little subjective because your goal isn't really to add that much more muscle as far as I could tell from your, your write up. Yeah, no. So I think I feel I could, I will get to that later kind of, uh, leg mass. I would want to kind of, um, build up more, but upper body, I'm kind of, okay. I'm kind of happy where I am if I slowly kind of progress over the years, but I don't want to add slabs of, of muscle upon that. Yeah. Well, I'd have. you know, you've got a bit of a hard battle there, uh, only because whenever you do any exercise, protein synthesis is incre- is increased in all the muscles yeah. to a pretty high level. So now that your upper body is where you want it, but your legs aren't, you're going to have to live with getting bigger in your upper body if you want. <laughs> and that is fine. Okay. That, that so is just, fine. <laughs> just making that, making sure that's clear. Yeah. Okay. So I could up the protein. I, I was always under the impression that I ate too much protein, but okay. Uh, yeah. Like it, well, like I said, it's kind of subjective. Um, the, the way you have it structured, you're wasting a little bit of protein. I mean, some of it's getting dumped in the splachnic bed, and the percentage that does, you lose half of that because when it comes back out, half of it gets thrown away, essentially. Yeah, and that is basically, I want it that way because I want to be able to eat more and kind of waste it away, to be honest. Yeah, well, I I, I wouldn't have any fine tweaking. Okay. To be honest, you know, when you... When you want to increase your leg mass, when you can, we'll talk about those workouts later. It sounds like you have a a geometry issue that's making it a little bit difficult. Um, but yeah, I mean, you would just pick up the protein as you see fit. So we dye your workout, you do it for whatever, a couple, few weeks, and you're not noticing any any gains in strength or size. Well, then up your protein. That's that's the limiting factor at that point. Like everything else you have done so well, it just it would be super simple to figure out, oh, okay, well, the limiting factor is protein. I'll need to add another scoop somewhere. Okay. Great. Um, and that kind of uh, meal timing is not, I mean, uh, again, I do the either post-workout after my morning training or I do the AM shake and then I do lunch and then I do nothing basically until seven eight and then i eat 70 percent of my calories as, as as i wrote and if that's fine i'm super happy with it um you know that that structure works and i mean how you know that you're you have really decent mitochondrial health is that that's working so well for you okay yeah you're going through those long stretches your body has to depend on fat for fuel during those periods and you're making them through them apparently very comfortably and then you're refilling at night like you you've got a structure that if if i had to work with your schedule the structure i would give you would be something similar to this okay then great um okay um 
Okay, next question was, uh, I sent you a picture as well on the pre-workout. I think that has kind of, it's on the same topic as caffeine and nicotine. It's just kind of a mental thing. Um, since you, you said kind of in previous post uh, podcast that kind of um, amino acids and so, that's kind of a canard. It's nothing you kind of should or need to do uh, pre or during workouts. Um, yeah. And I don't really know if the pre-workout powder I use, I use a lot of different. The only thing I, I do is kind of, okay, there's no carbs. I don't want, want it to be too many different or BCAAs or anything like that. Just a lot of caffeine and then probably a lot of other stuff I'm paying a lot of money for, nothing. But it's just, I like it. <laughs> I just want to make sure that it's not hurting my kind of gains or health or anything unnecessarily. Oh, unnecessarily. You have to throw that in there. <laughs> I mean, I can quit, of course. I, I did just a caffeine tab before, which was perfectly fine. And then I started with this, and I'm like, oh, I like the sweet taste of it. And now I have like 20 different tubs of different pre-workouts in my cabinet. See, because... this, this your propensity to do the pre-workout because you enjoy it yep so just i mean so if you ever think that there's an internal trigger for you of something that you should start to control in some way or take out in some way oh okay so you're doing it because you enjoy it like totally understand you like the taste of it whatever you've got 20 of them now each one to satisfy a different craving, right? Basically, I just mix them. Um, so I have like a slightly new flavor each time. Yeah, so there's one of those things that the simple act of doing it every day yeah. is putting your... Not like... So if if you're in your normal work mode where you know you you're highly regimented, you're getting a ton of stuff done. Yeah. This wouldn't make that big of a difference. But you're not. And just the simple act of having this every morning, especially if mentally you know you're only doing it for that reason, you are in training all the circuitry that will keep you binging and all those kind of things. It's the same thing. Yes, it's it's the exact... You're, the same mental trappings are being used when you have that every morning. So, you know, it could be one of those, okay, well, you know, today I'm just going to skip it. So you don't need to skip it every day. It's just in, on, in particular on the days when you most feel like you're craving it, that's the day you want to try to skip it. Because okay. bas basically your your mental machinery is fired up yeah for those for those patterns so you want to try to snub it first thing in the morning instead of in training it interesting so it's actually hurting me but in a completely different way than i imagined yes in a completely different way yeah from what i saw in them um, uh, i mean is this your only caffeine in the day um i mean I usually do two or three scoops and I train twice a day and then I probably have a couple of 
sugar-free Red Bulls a day, um, oh, and yes. maybe a caffeine tab. So um, <laughs> yeah, you're getting into a lot of caffeine, and that th- yep. that will slow down any and all tissue remodeling. Okay. So that's not just slows down muscular gains. Uh, it'll slow down the remodeling of your brain tissue for positive effects. Uh, you know, it just it slows down a lot of those processes because it basically keeps AMPK fired up constantly and the cells just can't repair themselves or grow or um, adjust to new environments as quickly. So just that much caffeine is also hurting your whatever your your binging issues your procrastination issues all of those things there it's adding to it okay so is there a limit to how much i should do or should i just cycle it or take it out completely oh that sounds well, horrible well yeah so you're in the situation of balancing goals right like yeah. i understand like if you went cold turkey on caffeine right now you would probably feel pretty terrible for a day or two yeah and and there's nothing wrong with it per se say like a couple hundred milligrams a day but i say that in conjunction with you have this goal i i assume you have this goal at this point to start to re-entrain your self-control and makes serotonin less effective in causing you to have any sort of addictive behavior because that's what the binging is it's basically a type of addiction wanting these drinks every morning is you know essentially firing the same addiction circuitries so the caffeine just makes it slower to fix that okay okay so understood no more caffeine yes so well so i mean you just need to decide what's more important (laughs) right it's it's balancing goals like you know 200 milligrams of caffeine a day even 400 if it's split up they're pretty far apart so you you're doing 200 in the morning and 200 at night you know it's going to slow things down some but that may be worth it to you for the benefits of the caffeine that you feel and uh, you know this is this balancing act of how how do you want to achieve your goal yeah i think it's i don't know if i would notice a difference if i take 100 or 500 because i'm so used to it now mm-hmm. um to be honest today is my first day i saw because i had to re read all the material from you again so i reread nicotine declassified and I was like, yeah, right. You were supposed to cycle it. I forgot that. And that was like years ago. So um, <laughs> today I went my first day without nicotine. And uh, it's kind of, ah, okay. It's okay. I yeah. don't feel that bad. It's amazing how easy it is to stop nicotine gum. It is. Uh, I actually use two things. Um, so I never smoke, but I do gum and um snooze i'm like it's nicotine pouches it's like a very swedish thing because i'm swedish (laughs) okay uh but the problem is they are usually very it's like 10 to 15 milligrams in one and that's a lot and obviously i can do 
multiple a day. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Could be problematic. Yeah. So, and the reason I quit was, well, one, because I read that, oh, I remember that they were supposed to cycle it, which I had somehow pushed away from my mind. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and secondly, I kind of just felt yesterday, somehow when I was out walking, I'm kind of, I'm running on caffeine and nicotine. And that was in conjunction. Um, I was listening to the last podcast of yours when he said, um, that he doesn't like stimulants because it feels like you don't really know your baseline anymore. And I was like, yeah, I haven't felt that in years. Maybe yeah. I should try it. Oh, well, that was good timing. Yeah, exactly. But okay, so then we, um, then I'm happy with the pre-workout. Um, so I should probably try to limit my caffeine for a while and just do it once in a while, maybe, but not every day, just because I want to have it. Correct. Yeah. Any Anything you're finding you're doing it just for the taste or just because nope. it's satisfying a craving, just stop and at least think about it. Even that little bit to start will start to change things. Okay. Great. Thanks. Mm-hmm. Um, so next question, I think it's a stupid question, but then again, people say there are no stupid questions. <laughs> oh no, there are stupid questions. You will, yeah. you'll never catch me saying that. <laughs> Good. But it's basically, um, so you probably read it's kind of a fundamentals question on, on car backloading. Um, so let's say I have like a cal calorie need of 2,500, two just Say that my say that's my maintenance without training or anything, and that's what also what I would consume with protein and fat on on my non-training days. Then I go into my training days. I go to the gym. I blow through my glycogen stores. So how much of my calories should still come from kind of fat and protein, um, and how should I kind of still aim to fill my baseline with fat and proteins and only meet my kind of glycogen storage? demand with with carbohydrates if that makes sense it, it does and i wish it was that simple okay <laughs> because i in your in your mind i think and tell me if i'm wrong it sounds like you still have the impression that when you eat the carbs immediately after training they're going straight into the muscle for storage so that is can that is the question exactly yeah so yeah. if they did that then yeah, you could just keep your baseline from protein and fat and your carbs are only eaten to make up for the energy you used for the workout. That that would be super simple, right? But that's not the case. Yeah, so of course that's not how it is. Yeah. Um, it's, it's a more, well, I don't want to say, well, it's, yeah, well, it's more complex, but it's also more nuanced. Like, there's a lot of description, both quantitatively and qualitatively, of how all those things get balanced out. Um, so it makes the answer difficult. The off-the-cuff answer is, well, you would eat less carbohydrates by about... 20% then you burned off from the workout 
Okay. But there's a lot of missing variables there because you can't know exactly how much you burned off. Um, you and that twenty percent is a really rough number, you know. So you're asking essentially, and I I know you you didn't mean this. You're essentially asking for the equations in the back end of body AI. Yeah. <laughs> so that you can match up your carbohydrate needs with just enough that you're not getting overage to do damage. Exactly. And that's just not a, a simple, simple answer. But your end goal of not wanting to do damage with the carbs is roughly that. Whatever you burned off training, you want to eat somewhere 10 to 20% under that amount of carbohydrates. And that's a really, really basic answer because it depends what you ate with those carbohydrates. It depends when you're eating those car. I mean, so that's a very, very super general. I don't want to be held to that ever response. Yeah, understood. And maybe it doesn't make sense for me to ask, but how come 10% under? Because I assume we also burn, I mean, okay, some of that will, will, will go to be stored as glycogen, some of that will be burnt off. So how come 10% less than what we burnt in the gym? Well, so... You don't have... If it's super complicated, it's fine. Um, uh, I mean, I, I can give the uh, kind of a top-level description of what's going on. And that's that, especially with your structure, the yeah. way you've structured your days and your workouts, every time you're moving protein out of the splachnic bed... Yeah. Like I said, half of that gets thrown away. Yep. Okay. Well, it doesn't really just get thrown away. Actually, most of what gets sheared off, you can think of it that way, is like lysine and leucine metabolites, and those are gluconeogenic. Ah, so okay. when you're pumping protein into the splachnic bed, which you're doing just because of the structure of your diet – when it's coming back out to meet your protein needs, you're getting enough substrate to make more gluconeogenic end products than you normally would. And those can be used to meet the overage of carbohydrates that you need. Okay. I mean, that's that's the basic thing. Now, like doing all those calculations is not super basic, but that's essentially what's happening. Understood. Okay. Yeah, and all and of that I'm depends happy. on the type of protein you eat also. Like, it's stupid, all the stuff that that depends on. But, and that's why I said that rule is super, super, super general. Like, I, you, I just can't be held to that, but. Which is fine. Yeah. Um, I think for me, I just have to kind of everything I do, I need to do it for a reason. Otherwise, it's kind of why and if i don't understand it somehow at some level i just know need to know that there is an answer somewhere and then yeah. i'm kind of happy and, and that's not optimal for other goals that is specifically optimal you would keep your muscle mass you would uh keep your strength and you would continue to move towards greater health but yep. you're not going to get much bigger well you're not you're probably not going to get bigger at all yeah. Um, those kind of things, those are off the table. Understood. That's a, yeah, that's a different balancing act. 
that I'm not even sure I could give a general rule for. So what would you do if you would want to optimize for growth? What you would then what would you then change? Well, I think that's a good place to leave it uh, with a lingering question. If you want to hear how I respond, make sure you listen to part two. All right, hope everybody enjoyed. And until next time.